Thank you, everyone, this morning. It's so good to be with you. A lot of new opportunities in this season to connect with others, uh, to jump in with the work that God is doing through so many lives in this community to reach others. Please say yes. This community is so much more than just these gatherings on a Sunday morning. I hope you love this. I hope this is a great experience for you. But this is our corporate gathering. We are the church all throughout the week. So drop by the connection table, go on our website, sign up, and get involved. Okay, let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Last week, we gathered for our Resurrection Sunday celebration, and what a celebration it was. I mean, we spoke about the cosmic, that is unbelievably vast, victory of Jesus as dictated to us in Ephesians chapter 2. And I ended by reminding us that God has made us alive. He has saved us. He has raised us up. He has seated us in the heavenly realms for a purpose that we might display the riches of His grace and kindness toward those who are far from Him. We've been forgiven and renewed by God as a cosmic art display of what His love looks like to the rest of the world. Our lives are the very canvas of His work. Now before we start a brand new series next month in the book of Hebrews, I want to spend four weeks, including this week, reflecting on the creative and recreative work of God in us through this series we're calling New Creations. I mean, do you and I fully grasp, do we understand the complete and total work of God that He does in us through our faith in His Son, Jesus. Do you understand what it means? What I said last week, that we've been made alive, that we've been raised up, that we've been seated in the heavenly realms. I mean, that is an encouraging mouthful of spiritual terms, right? But what does it mean to be grounded in a lived experience of what we read about in the Scriptures? It implies a total change of our being. Like what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, if anyone wants to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again. You have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. It's not like you can make these little incremental lifestyle changes, like you're going to change your diet, you're going to cut sugar and gluten, or you're going to start exercising and take a spin class, or you're going to go to therapy and read a few books. No, you've got to become a completely new person. You've got to start completely fresh, which is exactly what Paul says has taken place through our faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It reads, if anyone is in Christ, if you've entrusted your life to Christ, if you've placed your faith in His death, burial, and resurrection, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. So let's start by turning there this morning as we go on a little bit of a journey reflecting on what it means for us to be these new creations. As I said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where that verse is taken from, that's where we're going to begin. And I want you to experience this message like you would getting the results of a personality test that you took. You know, I've taken many personality tests. I know I'm the letter D. I'm an INTJ. I'm a badger or whatever it is. I'm the color orange. I'm, you know, an Enneagram 2 or whatever whatever it is, right? When you take those tests, the degree with which you look at the results, 
The focus that you have as you learn about your own personality, as you learn about your own state, that's the way that I want you to receive this message today because I'm speaking fundamentally about who you now are in Christ. Now as we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in context, Paul is speaking on two different levels, one of which is a little bit more irrelevant for us today and one of which is a bit more relevant. On one level... He's trying to address something that's going on in the church of Corinth that's very specific to that church. There was a group that had come in that was slandering him and his leadership. They were trying to one-up him from a worldly perspective. So on the one hand, Paul is addressing that dynamic going on in the church. But he's addressing it by doing some general education about the fundamental changes that have taken place in us through our faith in Jesus. Prior to his statement about us being new creations... He writes this in chapter 5, verse 14. We are convinced that one died for all, that is Jesus, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for all that we would die He died on the cross, and through our faith in Him, joined with Him in His death, we died, he says, when we believed in Him. Living as new creations, this is my first point, means our old life has died. It's a statement of finality. It's, I mean, there's nothing more final than death itself, right? My first experience with death was when I was in my early 20s, Uh, my grandmother she passed away that I love very much I experienced in reality what I only knew in theory up to that point up to that point in my life I'd only known you know dozens of fish uh, dying in our household a few parakeets but but I mean death really took on significance for me in my early 20s when my grandmother who I loved so much passed away because it was so final I wasn't going to see her again I couldn't reach out to her again I couldn't speak to her. I couldn't hear her anymore. Paul is evoking that same level of separation with our old way of life apart from God. It's to be unreachable upon having our faith in Christ. It's gone. It's not seen from that old life. It's not heard from again. So Jesus died that we would die and consider ourselves in our new life as living for Him And no longer for ourselves. We're to live and see things differently. He says this in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at things the same way. We don't look at people the same way that we used to. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. He's saying everything has changed. The way we see things, the way we see others, the way we see ourselves, the old has gone. Upon placing our faith in Jesus, the new has come. For you, I want you to do some inventory. Has the old gone away? Is your old life of sin, is it actually dead? Is the old way that you used to see things, is that gone away? The life that you live for yourself, is that past tense? Has the new life arrived? The life lived fully for God. Has the new way of seeing things become the way that you see things? Do you see things the way that God sees things in this world? 
Or has the old returned at times? The dead life come back to live again in you. And the new work of God, has that become to you in some way tried, but sometimes tired and not always true? Survey yourself, your spiritual state. Has the new arrived and is the old gone? Guys, I think this morning in front of 150 of you is as good a time as any to tell you, I think I'm in a spiritual midlife crisis. That's a great time to share that with you guys, right? 150 of my closest friends. And I'll let you know, it's actually probably my 10th one. I think my first spiritual midlife crisis came when I was 15 years old. You know, and my argument would be at that point, how do you know it's your midlife or not? You know, like, what do you say? I'm 15 years old. I might be at midlife at this point. You know, I, I might just live to 30. And right now, you know, reflecting on things, maybe I'm at a late life crisis. I don't, I don't have the keys. I don't understand when this whole thing is going to be finished for me. But I, I say this to just sort of illustrate that all of us are going to go through a period of time in our life. Or we're going to go through multiple periods of time in our life where we're going to reflect back on where we've come from. You know, usually it's going to be circumstances that necessitated some crisis that we go through. And then we begin to assess, hey, have I made progress toward the goals that I set out to achieve? Or have I gone seriously off course? When I survey myself, at times I feel regret. So much has changed in Christ, and yet so much has stayed the same. Some of the old is still with me, and some of the promised new has yet to arrive. Maybe a few of you can relate to me when you hold yourself in front of the mirror. But Paul wants to challenge us regarding what we see in ourselves when we look in the mirror by seeing ourselves through the lens of Christ's death and resurrection, through the riches of God's grace and kindness in Jesus. From a worldly mindset, we are inclined to see the negative when we look at ourselves in the mirror. I mean this literally physically. If you've looked at yourself in the mirror recently, it's frightening. You know, I, I see the wrinkles on my face. I can see the age, right? Wow, these are a lot of wrinkles here. Yesterday, I had somebody in their mid-20s address me as dad. And I said, what, you want to talk to me about my kids? He's like, no, I want some dad advice from you on which car to buy. I was offended. Somebody in their mid-20s can look at me and think I'm dad? I'm 35 for crying out loud. How old do I look? I'm not dad. Call your dad. It was amazing. This last year, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I noticed for the first time in my life, my schnoz is skewed. I never knew that bad information. My entire life, I figured out what you already probably saw. I was hit with a pitch when I was trying to make a double play in baseball, and it messed up my nose for good, more than it already was. You know, and I, I saw that. And we're drawn to see things, when we look in the mirror, we're drawn to the negative. We're drawn to see things from a worldly point of view. We're critical. And a midlife crisis is a very worldly critical framework. When you consider that we've received salvation and the gift of eternal life with God. I mean, if I try to like set up the timeline of my life where I find myself right now, and I've got now all the way up to eternity, and we were to plot my life from now to eternity, you know, from the beginning to eternity even, where do I fall on that timeline? 
I'm all the way here at the beginning, right? When I compare it to eternity, what's midlife? When you're thinking about a timeline of eternity, even though I've been at this life of following after Christ for 20 years, I'm still just at the beginning. Even if you're 85 years old, what are you? On the timeline of eternity, you are just starting out. We're born again. We're children of God. We are new creations. That's seeing things not from an earthly, but from a heavenly perspective. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, because that's exactly what Paul commands of us, to have this heavenly perspective. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Here again, we get a statement regarding our present reality that stands at odds with much of our present experience. Paul says we're presently raised with Christ. That's my second point. Living as new creations means we live raised with Christ. Through faith, right now, we are united with Him in heaven. More specifically, our life is hidden with Him. It's concealed with Him. You know, this last week, I went to Lake Havasu on vacation. Now, is my life out there in Lake Havasu or is my life here in Huntington Beach? I was out there for a week. When I was out there for a week in Lake Havasu, do you think I was making long-term plans for what my future is going to look like in Lake Havasu? You think I was starting to kick up some friendships there at the lake thinking, ooh, these could be long-term friendships out here at the lake. You know, I get it. The sun and heat has left Huntington Beach. It moved to Texas post-COVID like everybody else from California. So there's some tempting aspects of Lake Havasu right now. But that's not where my life is. I'm only there for a short period of time. My life is back here. This is where my plans are. But in comparison, is our life here in this world? Or is it in heaven? We're here only for a short time that we should spend all our time establishing ourselves, making our plans for the future here when our future is in heaven. Our life lived in heaven has already, in a certain way, begun. Right now, Paul says, our life is hidden with Christ. It's in Him. It's kept secure, safe, but also concealed, also a bit out of view, like we've attached ourselves to something we can't fully presently see, which, as I've mentioned before in this message is a bit of an encouragement to me because if my life were just what I could see I might be a little bit disappointed I mean think how far have I fallen short of the goal and yet as a new creation you and I are not defined by how far we have fallen you and I are defined by how high Christ has raised us up in his grace Remember, the gospel is that through the cross, God is not counting our sins against us. He's not counting them. They do not define us. So set your mind, Paul says. Set your heart, he says separately, on the things above, not the things of earth. And partly that is us setting our hearts and minds on the glory that we're about to receive and share with God. 
For verse 4 declares, When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul's reminding us as new creations, dead to ourselves, raised in Christ and hidden with Him, we have awaiting us the sharing and reflecting of the glory of God. It reminds me of a dynamic in a, in a video game I play with my son. I play this uh, video game. It's a Lego series of video games on his Nintendo. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a uh, focus on the family bulletin about the game. I think it's a safe game. I, don't think, I think I'm safe from criticism. But we play the Lego game every now and then. And one of the gameplay features of the Lego game is that you never die. I mean, you die, but you just get reassembled immediately. Like, like there's no way to lose in the game. You just kind of go through the experience. Now, in life, by the world's standards, there are winners and losers in the world's economy. There are those who are rich, and there are those who are poor, those who are beautiful, and those who are undesirable. There are those who are successful, and those who are unsuccessful. And the question is, did you make something out of your life? Did you achieve what you set out to achieve? And you can either win or you can lose by the world's standards. In Christ, there is only glory that awaits us all. You can't lose. You don't die. I mean, so the rest of life between our initial faith in Jesus and in his return, it's just about the experience in the in-between. The experience of increasingly living for him, chasing after the model and example of Jesus. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, if we were to judge things from a worldly perspective, success and, you know, failure, you'd look at the life of Jesus and you'd see that he's poor and he's effectively homeless and the book of Isaiah prophesies that he's going to be physically unattractive and he's rejected and he's abused, assaulted, he's ultimately murdered. And you look at that by the world standards and you say, this guy is a failure, he's a nobody. But from a heavenly perspective, he lived everything a human life of fulfillment was meant to be from God's perspective. He lived in truth, humility, service, generosity, mercy, and love, always entrusting himself to his Father in heaven. And he was raised to eternal glory to receive the name that is above all names. We now walk that same path. But you understand, through our new life in him, the rules of this world have changed for us. The goalposts have shifted. What is a win for us? What is scoring for us is different. We're a new creation. We don't define people. We don't define ourselves the same way. We're no longer living for the world's version of success. Only what points us toward that end of sharing in God's glory. So Paul continues in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, to trust yourself fully to this process all over again. Put all your chips on this basket. Verse 5, put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put to death the life of living for yourself. Put to death the life of living for the petty things, for passing indulgences, for comforts and sex and money and get rid of the stuff that's even in your heart, he says. The anger, the rage, the evil desires, the lies you would speak to one another, looking at people by the world's standards the way you used to. Put all that to death. Put to death what you would say on your social media account to 500 followers that sin, just as much as you put to death what you'd speak under your breath that's sin. Everything that's really public, everything that's in your heart. You know, for me, anyone can muster up the energy to speak godly for 45 minutes on a stage in front of 150 people, but how do I speak when I'm at home? Anybody can put on a righteous physique for an hour and a half at community group, but who are you at 8.30 a.m. on your commute to work? Who are you at 10 p.m.? on a Friday night. God wants to renew you completely by getting rid of everything in you and me that is sin. That's the old life that literally died, the old that's gone. Put it back to death. That's the old outfit you got to take off. It's now out of style for you. It's not the 90s and it's coming back again. It'll never come back again. It doesn't suit you anymore is what Paul is saying. It doesn't suit who God is making you into and who you're becoming. A couple weeks ago, I gave away some shorts because I'm new. It doesn't fit anymore. I gave it to my marathon running neighbor who fits in it, right? Because he runs marathons. But, But to keep wearing that, it doesn't suit me. It doesn't fit me anymore. It's uncomfortable. That old life of sin, that old life of death, it no longer suits you. It no longer fits you. You're to give it up. Get rid of it. As in verses 8 and 9, you and I are called to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. This is where we find ourselves today, through faith in Christ. We have died. We've been raised. We're awaiting the glory that God has reserved for us. And in the meantime, we are being renewed. Living as new creations means we're always being renewed in the image of our creator. This word that's translated new, both in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3, when it talks about, oh, you're a new creation. It says you're putting on the new man. That is, you're putting on Jesus. That word, it doesn't refer to something that's new in age. It refers to something that is new as in it's fresh. It's unprecedented. We haven't seen anything like it before. It's novel. And it's ironic that the word Paul uses to describe the process that God is putting all of us through as we put on this new man, this fresh identity. It's a brand new word. The word translated as renew in our Bibles is a word that appears nowhere else in the ancient language, in any other writing anywhere else, because Paul is just making up words. He's jamming words together to come up with new meanings. The word renew there, it means God's completing a continually fresh process in us as a means to make us fresh. It means he's doing something that no one's ever seen before as he produces a new reality in us that no one has ever seen before. It's not like he's restoring an old car back to its original beauty with the same old workshop manual. 
Or he's a really talented plastic surgeon that's going to restore to you the beauty of your youth that you had once before. No, he's always continually using brand new means to bring out a brand new result in us, in the image of his son, Jesus. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'm convinced God wants to work in a fresh way to bring about a fresh result in all of us gathered here. A new experience of His Son in your life. Would you join me in prayer as we consider these powerful words spoken over our identity in the Lord. And I want to encourage you to ask the Lord, what is that new work, that fresh, unprecedented, never seen before in your life work, that God wants to do to bring about the image of His Son in your life in a way you've never seen before. That's what the promise is of Colossians chapter 3. That process is not completed until we are joined with God and we see and behold His glory with our own eyes. Until then... Our old life is dead, we're raised, we're seated with Him, and we're being renewed. God is always doing a new work, an unprecedented work in our lives that we've never seen before as He brings about an increasingly sharper image of His Son through our lives in a way that we have never seen it before doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for one week or 80 years. There's something new. I'm convinced that God has something new for every one of us. So Heavenly Father, would you reveal that to my brothers and sisters this morning? Maybe you want to remind them that the old life of sin and death It's gone. Maybe you want to prompt them to put to death in a new way sin that's returned or sin that remains. But you want them to repent in a deeper way, in a more complete way than they've ever done so before. Lord, maybe you want to work in hearts to remind those who've fallen those who are in sin 
that it is not how far we've fallen that defines us, but how high we have been raised up in the heavenly realms with your son Jesus. You want to give a fresh understanding, a fresh revelation of your grace. Or maybe you want to remind those who they look at their life from a worldly perspective, they're dwelling in a state of crisis because they haven't achieved what they set out to achieve. They're not who they wanted to be. They're not matching the world's standards. Maybe you want to remind them that they're a new creation. They don't have to look at things. They're commanded not to look at things by the same metrics. Glory awaits us all. We cannot lose. We can't die. You want to give them a gift of peace in their heart unlike anything that they felt before. Or maybe you want to do something new I can't even put into words in the lives of my brothers and sisters.